0: Evangelical Presbyterian Church, you'll find us always in the Father in Heaven. It is ours now to uh, consider, to think through, to listen to you from the Word of God. And I pray that you would open our minds, hearts, to hear. And Father, that it would penetrate deep within us, and that we would come away from it with a great sense of belonging to you, a great sense of comfort, a great sense of encouragement, that you would build us up, even as you prepare us to come to your table, uh, to receive from our Lord Jesus grace upon grace. And this we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. If you'll turn to First Peter in chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5, I want to read verses 1 through 4. First Peter in chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. you will receive the unfading crown glory. Have you ever thought, I suppose you have, but have you ever thought about the great drama on this night in which Jesus was born, and all that that built up to it? Here's a young maiden, a virgin, not married but engaged to a man to be married, and an angel of God comes to her and tells her that she's going to have a child, conceive a child, uh, not in the normal, natural way, but by the, by the Holy Spirit. That's different. And, and then, uh, to, to have a sense of what that means, have a sense, because she later writes this beautiful song that says she had some sense of understanding that this one who is to come would be the Messiah, the Savior of his people. And, and so she has this sense that she would carry this child who would be the Messiah, who would be the Christ, who would be the Savior of his people. Then an angel of the Lord comes to Joseph and tells him that he's not to quietly put away this woman who, to whom he's engaged, but who is pregnant, but yet should take her as his wife. And then... They get word of this tax. They have to move and leave to register for this tax and go from Nazareth to Bethlehem. They get there. There's no lodging appropriate for them. They end up in a place where there's animals and she gives birth to the Son of God. Can you imagine? Now, now some think this to be a myth. It's interesting to me that Jesus still makes the cover of Newsweek. Happy about that. In some ways... Title of the article, The Birth of Jesus, Faith and History, How the Story of Jesus Came to Be. Now, we believe the story of Jesus came to be because God sent him through Mary, and so that's how it came to be. Interesting article, by the way, you should read it. It'll give you some insight into how people who aren't believers think about Christmas, think about the birth of Jesus. It'll, it's a very well done piece, I think, and uh, it will help you to under. To understand that, but you see we believe that as, as, as especially Matthew and Luke lay this out for us that that 's how the story of Christmas came to be, that Jesus came to be born of this virgin on that particular day. at least part of the drama though is these angels coming to these shepherds. Do you wonder why shepherds? Uh, maybe it's just a providential coincidence. I mean, maybe it was just, just God blessing these shepherds. They happened to be in the field. The angels needed to sing, and so, boom, they just got it. And it is just wonderful. We don't really quite know why the shepherds. There's no good explanation in Scripture why the shepherds. It could be that, that simply it's to remind us that the gospel comes really to those who are who are in the lowest status. You know, we have a tendency to romanticize shepherds because in the Bible they're pretty cool, it seems. You know, all these great allusions to shepherds and their care and their courage and all of this. And yet, shepherds in the days of Jesus and before were really not highly regarded. One author put it that they spent so much time with sheep they didn't have much time to spend with people. And so they really weren't considered to be normal and regular folks. Plus, they had to work on the Sabbath, so they were never really able to make the high charts uh, in the Israelite community. Always looked down upon, always with sheep. And so perhaps it's to tell us that unlike American Christianity that has to go, tends to go after celebrity, that really the gospel is for those in need. Not the high ones, but the low ones, if you will. Maybe. Some have conjectured that these shepherds were watching lambs that were going to be used for the Passover. And so it would be an interesting juxtaposition. Here you have these Passover lambs on the, on the hillside being shepherded by these shepherds. And then Jesus, the real Passover lamb, the one slain for us, is born. Well, what a wonderful juxtaposition at that moment in time, but you say, but that couldn't have been because this is December and, 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 and Passover is in the spring, and uh, you need to realize we don't have a clue when Jesus was born. We celebrate his incarnation uh, December 25th because everybody else was having a party, and so the Christians wanted to have one too, and so that's why we celebrate Christmas when we, when we do. We don't really know when he was born, so perhaps that would be the case, and if that's true, that really makes for a fun story. We don't know if that's true or not, but it's interesting. It could be. That we're simply to respond to this message of, of the fact that Jesus is born, the Messiah has come, like they did with praise and joy, thus the rose-colored candle, just a little bit different to, to signify. Here's a response of joy on this third Sunday of Advent. But I can't get out of my mind, perhaps because I'm in First Peter, the fact that on that, in that moment in time, the Good Shepherd was born, and the announcement was made to those who were doing what the Good Shepherd had come to do. At least figuratively speaking. Uh, Peter refers to Jesus as the chief shepherd. The author of Hebrews refers to him as the great shepherd of the sheep. Jesus, if you were listening, if you were here for that call to worship, uh, refers to himself as the good shepherd. There's this sense, you see, that, 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 that he's this shepherd, the very shepherd of Israel. Figuratively speaking, of course, Jesus didn't come to take care of animals. He came to take care of people. He came to take care of his people. And this this figure of speech of shepherd and sheep is used throughout the scripture of the relationship between God and his people. You know, the great shepherd, Psalm, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's a shepherd. God says, I'm your shepherd. In Psalm 80, God is referred to as the shepherd of Israel. In Isaiah 46, Isaiah speaks of, God coming to his people as a shepherd to a sheep to care for them and to cuddle them and to nurture them and to lead them and, and all of that. So it's, it's a common, it's a common figure. And the question then, of course, is how, how did God shepherd his people in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament? And the answer is that he did it from heaven through those on earth called shepherds. There was, for instance, a whole group of people in ancient Israel called the elders of Israel. And they were the ones who were to, to, to give wise counsel, to settle disputes among the people, to rule the people. There they they were priests who, on behalf of God, were to shepherd the people in the sense that they were to bring people into the very presence of God by interceding for them in prayer, by, by bringing sacrifices so the people could come and, and live in the very presence of God. There were shepherds of Israel who were prophets who would, who would bring the very word of God to people uh, and, and, and seek out those who were straying from God and come with, uh, to them with this message of repentance and, and rebuke and saying, Come back! Come back into the fold of God. And there were kings who were to, to rule the people righteously so that they would prosper and be well cared for. And as you study the history of ancient Israel, you realize that, 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 that when the kings were righteous and holy and good, the people prospered. It's as if they were taken to good pasture. It's as if they were had peace by quiet, still waters because the kings were, were righteous and holy And thus you see in all these different regards, God was shepherding his people. But of course these shepherds failed. They failed. They failed to shepherd the people as God would have it. For instance, turn to Ezekiel in chapter 34. In verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. That is, against these elders, against the priests, against the prophets, against the kings. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, oh, shepherds of Israel have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed sheep. The sheep, that is, they were taking care of themselves, not the sheep. You see, shepherds come not to care for themselves, but to care for the sheep. Because sheep need, by definition, cared for. Sheep are naturally dependent animals. They're not naturally independent. They're naturally dependent. They're not wise enough to know where to find good pasture. And when they find it, they overgraze it. They just stay there and eat and eat and eat and eat and eat. They, they have no real good natural defenses. They, they don't have good teeth. They can't bite well if attacked. They don't have good claws. They can't scratch well. They can't run fast at all. And if they get into water and it gets into their wool, they're done for. They can't even move. And so they're, they're defenseless against the enemies that they have, but they're, but they're cantankerous and they're, they're competitive. And so the, the big sheep will, will nose out the weak sheep to the detriment of the weak sheep. Thus, shepherds need to come and keep order among these sheep as well, so the weak ones can grow. And he says, you haven't done any of that. You haven't helped them. In fact, all you've done is used the sheep to care for yourselves. That's not what a shepherd does. Because when God is referred to as our shepherd, the characteristics of God that we're to think about is, here's the one who feeds us, who cares for us, who nurtures us, who protects us, who, as David says, makes a table before us in the presence of our enemies. And we needn't fear our enemies. In fact, God will feed us right in the midst of them because he's with us. And we don't even have to fear death because he's with us. And even if we walk in the valley of the shadow of death, of course, God is with us, so we don't don't have to be afraid. And he blesses us because goodness and mercy pursues us from God. He brings goodness and mercy to us all the time. That's what a shepherd is to do for the sheep. That's what God does for us. For us, like sheep, we too are naturally dependent. We can't breathe lest God says there's breath. No matter how independent we think we are, the truth of the matter is the very breath we use to say that God doesn't exist was given to us by God himself. We're utterly dependent upon him, though like sheep, We easily go astray because we think we're independent. We think we can. We think we have enough wisdom to lead ourselves. We think we have enough strength to protect ourselves. We think we have enough knowledge to feed ourselves. But, of course, we don't. So God says, I want you to know that you're sheep and that you need shepherds. And I will be your shepherd. And he appoints these ones among us to do that. And when these ones among us fail, there's failure in the people of God. Notice verse 4, the weak. You have not strengthened the sick. You have not healed the injured. You have not bound up the strayed. You have not brought back the lost. You have not sought. And with force and harshness, you have ruled them. So they were scattered. It says, you were heartless. You never cared about them, really. They were hurt right in front of you. And you never brought any oil to anoint, to heal, and to, to comfort, and to soothe, and to soften. You never led them where there was good food. They ended up scattering Verse 5, because there was no shepherd and they became food for the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountain and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth and none to search or to seek for them. That's the problem, you see, when the shepherds of Israel failed and the people were hurt. And so God had had enough. Look in verse 11. It says, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and I will seek them out. So God says, all right, you didn't do it. I'm coming. Verse 12, as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel there shall be grazing land. They shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Then verse 22. God says, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my shepherd David, and he shall feed them, and he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. God says, I'm coming and I will shepherd you. And I'll rescue you. And I'll save you. And I'll heal you. And I'll provide for you. And I'll bring you ultimately to a place of rest and prosperity, of health. Now the question is, how is he going to do that? Now turn to John and chapter 10 and verse 11. Just as an aside, one of the things I love about celebrations in the church year of Christmas, Easter, and so forth, is that they're great times to see how it all fits together. Right? It's great times to see how it all fits together. As we go through the drama of the history of our redemption, of of how God did it in history, we see it played through the whole Bible. And so, here we have God saying, I'm your shepherd, I'll appoint these shepherds, They failed, I'm coming, then on the lips of Jesus, John chapter 10, verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. Wow. If he's the good shepherd and he's God with us, what does that mean? It means that he's the fulfillment of what Ezekiel was speaking of. He's the one who is God himself, who will come and shepherd his people. So we can expect, therefore, that he will come and rescue, and he will come and save, and he will come and gather, and he will come and care for he'll come and heal and he'll come to bless and he'll come to prosper spiritually speaking then ultimately materially as well his people, I'm the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep that's the care, that's the love, that's the attitude that's the heart of a good shepherd, not a bad shepherd, but a genuine shepherd a real shepherd, the, the good shepherd, the shepherd that every other shepherd should pattern himself after, this Good shepherd. Verse 12. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. That is, I'm not like that at all. When your enemies come, I don't run. When your enemies come, I stand between that enemy and you, because I own you. You belong to me. You're mine. You're my sheep. And you're naturally and supernaturally dependent. And I'm the one upon whom you must depend. And I'm dependable. Because I'm faithful. I'm the good shepherd. I won't leave you hanging. I won't leave you down. I won't leave you vulnerable to this kind of attack. Trust me, I'm there. verse 13. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. He does it, you see. He he gives himself. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they'll listen to my voice so there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. That's very comforting, isn't it? Because, you see, a dead shepherd is good for the moment if he gave his life to save you. But then you're shepherdless if he's just dead. But if he is able, after he gives his life, to take it back up again and then can be with you, then you have the good shepherd all the time. And, you see, this good shepherd has come to shepherd us, to care for us, to rescue us by giving his life. And of course, he did that, and when he did that, he took our sin upon himself, for that's what we needed. In order to come into the fold, in order to be accepted as his sheep, you see, he needed to take our sin, we needed to be forgiven and received and accepted by God, and thus he, as our good shepherd, stood before the great enemy, the judgment of God. And he took it. And in his own blood, his own death, he defeated it that we might live. And now he lives to shepherd us. How does he do that, you say? How, do, how does this Holy One of God, how does this good shepherd, how does he shepherd us now? Well, certainly by way of interceding for us. He, he is alive. Hebrews and chapter 7, verse 25. Turn to that if you don't know it. If it doesn't spring to your mind what that is, turn to it. Because you sh- it should. You need this verse. We live off the word of God. This is one of those uh, verses that we must uh, live off of. Verse 25, Hebrews 7. Consequently, is because he lives. Consequently, he is able to save To the uttermost. Uh, That's just a wonderful expression. It's like he does everything necessary to save. There there isn't anything left. He he saves to the uttermost completely, thoroughly. Uh, There's nothing left unsaved about one he has saved. He saves to the uttermost. Those who draw near to God through him since... This is how he's able to do that. This is why we can trust him. It's why we know it's true since. He always lives to make intercession for them. That is to say, he's always standing for us on our behalf in heaven. Thus, if anyone ever makes a charge against us in heaven, whoever that may happen to be, I don't know how those charges get there, but however they happen to get there, Jesus is standing there saying, no, 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 that can't touch him. That can't touch her. No, that won't remove him or her from my presence, from my care, from my love. Nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. How do we know that? Because Jesus lives to defend us all the time. And he never dies and never goes away because though he gave his life, he took it back up again. And when he took it back up again, he lives in this. he lives, he intercedes. We never need to worry. He never forgets us. He never turns his back on us. He never stops defending us. And you see, but it feels like I'm being nailed with all kinds of stuff. But it won't. It won't separate you from his love. It won't destroy your faith. Because he's still defending you. In fact, one of the ways that he shepherds us, you know this one probably, Romans Chapter 8, verse 28. I could quote these things, but I always like to look at them because then I know it's really there. Bibles are just wonderful. Quoting them and memorizing them is really good, but it's just great to see it in black and white, just right there on the page. To go, oh, I didn't misquote it, I didn't make it up. It's really there. For some days I read verses and I go, whew, I thought maybe I'd made that one up. But no, no, it's right there. Romans 8, verse 28, And we know, see, that's wonderful to be able to say, we know this. How do we know this? Because Christ lives, that's how we know this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. And you see, when we're called by Him, passage in John says that Jesus knows his sheep, and his sheep know him. And he calls to his sheep, and they know his voice, and his sheep respond to him. And so when he calls us, he calls us according to a particular purpose. And that particular purpose, of course, as our good shepherd, is to rescue us, and to save us, and to bring us to him, and to keep us there. That's his purpose. And in the midst of that, of course, he purposes that, that he would transform us and conform us to his own image. And so he says everything in the context of the life of a sheep That is one belonging to God, one shepherded by the Good Shepherd, one who hears the voice of the Good Shepherd and responds, a real sheep, the life of that real sheep then, and you can know as one, That everything that happens will ultimately work out for good. And God's, through Christ, providential work of circumstances, work in your own heart and life, will always bring good. That's how He shepherds us, by His providential care. He intercedes for us. He works circumstances for us. And He can do that because Ephesians chapter 1... And verse 22, when he ascended, after having risen, when he ascended, Ephesians 1, verse 22, and he, that is God the Father, and he put all things under his feet, the his there is Jesus, so the Father put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church, or other translations would have For the church, that is, Jesus rules and reigns on behalf of his people. Thus, all the circumstances, all the events, all the things that take place in the course of life are governed in such a way by Jesus for the benefit of his people. Ultimately speaking, to strengthen us and to purify us, and to to show our faith even more genuine, so we don't need to be afraid. That's how he shepherds us. But he also shepherds us through human vessels, through shepherds. Turn back to 1 Peter in chapter 5. Notice how Peter puts it. He says, So, I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Peter says, Listen, I want to just for a moment, just for a couple of sentences, address a particular group of people in the churches who will be receiving this letter. All you Christians scattered is, he said, there's a certain group of people named elders out there, and I am an elder with you. He doesn't put himself above them. He just says, I'm just another elder. I'm a fellow elder. I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ. I can testify... That Jesus did suffer more than that. I can testify that as a believer, as an elder, we will suffer as well. And I've witnessed that and I'm testifying to you. All that I'm testifying to you about suffering is true. And I'm also a partaker of the glory that's going to be revealed. That is, I know Christ. So I would just want to address you fellow elders for a moment. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God. It's a direct command to those who are elders, but it's also something implied in the context of those who aren't, and that is, be shepherded as the flock of God. That that here's how I'm going to do this. This is my means by which I'm going to do this. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Now what elders do is to oversee. They look over the flock of God. They watch the flock of God and everything around the flock of God. And it's their job, just like any shepherd would do, to feed, that is to provide nourishment by way of the word of God and to protect so that others won't come in and steal them or harm them to feed and to protect the primary functions of this of, of a shepherd notice for instance in acts in chapter 20 as Paul speaks to the elders of Ephesus acts uh, in chapter 20 verse seventeen for instance just to introduce this We could go to any number of passages in the New Testament that describe the fact that there were elders, there were shepherds in the churches. In fact, as Paul planted churches, his M.O. was to appoint elders as he left to oversee the churches. In fact, when he writes to Timothy and Titus, he tells them about the lives of elders and how to pick elders and who are elders and shepherds amongst them. But here, in Acts chapter 20, verse 17, Luke writes, Now from Miletus he... That is, Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So, not unusual at all, a very usual thing. He would, he would expect that there would be elders in this church, and so he said, I want the elders to come. These are the shepherds, I want to talk to them about this. And then if you'll turn to verse 28, in Acts 20, he says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own cells will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I didn't cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And he says to these shepherds, And you're to watch over this flock of God because it's a precious flock. It's a flock owned by Jesus himself, purchased with his very blood. And he says there's dangers, you see. The dangers are that there's all kinds who will come in, even some from amongst the flock that will try to lead them astray. So you have to be very very wise, very discerning, and very watchful to make certain that this doesn't take place. But you see, the important thing for us to hear is that each one of us needs God as our shepherd, Jesus our good shepherd to give his life for us and to take it up again so that we can know that we belong to God, have him interceding for us, working in providential circumstances for our good and providing for us shepherds. Could I say this? Whether we like it or not, that's his means. There is no maturity in the context of the body of Christ without good shepherds who are following after the chief shepherd. That's simply God's means, for instance, in Ephesians, in chapter four. In verse eleven. Just to show you the interdependence in the context of the body of Christ, our dependence upon God and each other and the gifts that He gives to us. Ephesians 4, verse 11, And He gave, that is, God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by, every, by human cunning and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, were to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is how God works. He works by his Spirit and Word through us. And Peter's saying a key component, a key element of that are these shepherds that each of us needs. And you may say, Well, haven't we been down that road before? It didn't really work in the old covenant. Read Ezekiel thirty four, they failed. And the truth is that shepherds in these days fail as well. But it's different. In the sense that one, in the old covenant, these shepherds of Israel often inherited positions. They did it because of the family name. Now it's called by the Holy Spirit, confirmed by the people of God, as shepherds, elders in the church. And now we have the chief shepherd as the very one to fill us and to bless us. And so that's why Peter says you have to be very careful in the context of who these shepherds are. Look what he says... Verse middle of verse two, he speaks to these shepherds and they're overseeing. He says, Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. That is, you shouldn't have to force someone to be a shepherd. They should do it willingly. And you say, Well, why would you ever have to force anybody to? Why wouldn't somebody want to be one of these shepherds, these these elders? Why wouldn't a man just simply step up and say, I want to do this? Well, number one, Peter was writing to a group of people in the midst of persecution. And in the midst of persecution. Often those aimed at first are the very ones who are considered to be elders, shepherds. And secondly, you see, in a very deep and real sense, these elders must make account to God. If you read in the work of Ezekiel about the judgment of God coming first to the house of God... Even as Peter makes reference to that in chapter 4, verse 17, as we thought about a couple of weeks ago. When judgment comes first to the house of God, it begins with the elders. There are all kinds of reasons for not wanting to do this. So he says, make sure it isn't someone who you have to twist their arm to do it, but they do it willingly. Not for shameful gain, but but eagerly, that is not because they have some gain in mind to do it because it satisfies their own self-interest or promotes something in the context of their own lives, but they do it eagerly, and that is because they love Christ. Do you remember Peter? After Jesus had resurrected, when Peter was being called as this shepherd, you remember Jesus came to him and said, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And each time Peter would say, yes, Lord. And at the end of that, Jesus would say, well then, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Shepherd this flock. See, only those who can look to Jesus and say, yes, I love you. Have the right motives. In fact, when we call elders in our own church... And that's basically what we do. You see, Presbyterian means elder. and That's our whole deal. Uh, how we govern ourselves in that sense. So, trying to follow this. You heard some of these vows a year or so ago, whenever when we ordained some shepherds, some elders, you heard these when we had Chad's ordination just a few weeks ago. Have you been induced, as far as you know, your own heart to accept the office of elder from love of God and sincere desire to promote the glory of God in the gospel of His Son? What's your motives? Do you promise to be zealous and faithful in promoting the truth of the gospel and purity and peace of the church? Whatever persecution or opposition may arise to you on that account, do you understand what you're getting into? you seek to be faithful and diligent in the exercise of all your duties as elder, whether personal or relative, public or private, and to endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your manner of life? and to walk with exemplary piety before this congregation of which God will make you an officer? Are you now willing to take responsibility in the life of this congregation as an elder and will seek to discharge your duties relying upon the grace of God in such a way that the entire church of Christ will be blessed? Those are the kinds of things that a shepherd must think about and must affirm and must embrace. Because Peter says so much depends then The health of the body and the life of the body, because each of us needs shepherds. Even shepherds need shepherds, those to watch us and to care for our soul, because that's God's means by which He brings this care to us. See, it's important. In Hebrews, in fact, In chapter 13, verse 17, the author of Hebrews gives this admonition to the church. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. See, part of God's economy, if you will, part of His structure, part of the way He works for our benefit and blessing is to give us those shepherds, elders, who watch over our souls, For God's sake, for Christ's sake. Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. They give an account for your soul. So then he goes on to say, Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. That is to love these shepherds and submit to these shepherds in such a way that makes their calling a joy, not a burden, a blessing so that they enjoy it. Because if they are enjoying being your shepherd, it will be a blessing to you. That's why we urge our kids as they come up through the church to make sure the church is always significant in their life, not because we're trying to perpetuate something, but because it's necessary, it's God's way. When college students come, we say, get involved in the life of the church. Why? Because you need the oversight of the shepherds that are in the context of local churches in this community. So you need that for people in the community. We say, come. and We urge people, we say, join churches, become members of churches, because this is the way that it makes it easy for elders to oversee you. It's difficult to oversee people Never come to us and say, yes, watch my soul. Be used of God to watch my soul. I understand the scripture saying that this is how it's done. So, so, all right, as in the book of Acts, and someone was recording that so many were being added to their number daily. Okay, add me to the number. Watch my soul. You have license in my life that makes the work of an elder a much greater joy than having to wonder, do they really want me in their life? Are they really just coming? Or or, or can I go to them because I, I see this need that they have? Can I oversee? Can I watch their soul? But all of this, you see, comes under the watchful care and the great strength and power and the wisdom of the chief shepherd. No one shepherds independent of Christ himself. Only shepherds worthy to be shepherds. Shepherd because they love Christ. And they desire for him to be honored among people. Because he's the good shepherd. He's the one who has given his life for his sheep. He's the one who's defeated the enemies. He's the one who's given life. He's the one who cares and and, and works all circumstances in such a way that good comes because he's the one who has called us and it's his voice that we've heard and it's his voice that we follow. Because you remember it was that night that he met with his his disciples. It was a night that he said that the evil one will come and strike at the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. But he also knew that he would gather those very same sheep. And thus he stood before his disciples and he took bread and he broke it. And after giving thanks, he gave it to them and he said, this is my body which is given for you. And in the same manner, he took the cup. after giving thanks he gave this to his disciples and he said this is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins do this in remembrance of me and of course we think of Jesus as our good shepherd who laid down his life for us to defeat the enemy of sin and death that we might live but then we remember our Lord Jesus who took his life back up again that he may shepherd us even now because you see this is his table And he attends it. And I, as a shepherd under the chief shepherd, ministering in his name, lays this before you. But you don't come to this table to meet me. In a very real way, this symbolizes what shepherds do. When an elder prays for you, when an elder visits you, when an elder teaches you, When an elder comes to comfort you, he's simply bringing Jesus. Because he's the chief shepherd. This is simply his means. There's no ego involved. We're helpless. And we simply come to say, come to the chief shepherd. Receive from him grace upon grace. Because he gave his life and he took it back up again, which means he is here and he will meet you and he will nurture you and nourish you and bless you. Let's pray, Father in heaven. This is amazing. I pray that you take this bread and juice and Set it apart from the common, ordinary bread and juiciness of it. So that through it, we might feed upon our Lord Jesus. And receive from him the care that we need to continue in faith and to persevere. I pray that you, through this supper, would care for our souls, even as we come. In Jesus' name, amen. I remind you that this table is not the table of grace, Evangelical Presbyterian Church, but it's the table of the Lord, and he invites to it all those who desire care for their souls and understand themselves to be sinners in the sight of God, without hope except in his sovereign mercy. And understanding the nature of their own souls, understand that they need to believe in the Lord Jesus as he's offered to us in the gospel, that sins might be forgiven. And understand the only way to live is to live as a follower of Christ and desire that. Thus, if that be true of you and you desire to be strengthened and to be fed by our Lord Jesus, let me invite you to come. These two sections come down. This aisle to my left, these two sections. the aisle to my right. Take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, and receive grace upon grace. from our Lord Jesus, please come. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for caring for us, for shepherding us, for nurturing us, for feeding us, for saving us, for rescuing us, for forgiving us for walking with us, for ordering our steps and leading us there, for enabling us to hear your voice and to respond to it and to feel comfort because we know that it's Jesus who is calling and Jesus who is caring and Jesus who is interceding and Jesus who lives. Thank you. It's a great message. I pray all for all who proclaim that message this week for each one of us as we go various places, some in the context of our own families with our own children, or even our parents or grandparents, some in the workplace and offices and schools and dorm rooms and apartments and all over the place. Father, that this message of the gospel of Christ can be proclaimed most especially. Two, I pray for Chase Pettis with the NAVs at UNL, that you would bless him, Father, as Chase and his great boldness and sweet heart. Shares Christ with students, so be with him, be with Stephen Anakulik as they bless those in Asia with the message of the gospel. Our own Dave Up Church his his work as an Army Reserve Chaplain, even though he's not on active duty at the moment, Father, with his follow-up work and so forth. I pray that you'd continue to bless him in that work. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would care for our flock, continue to heal Connie. With Kathy Nace and her father, most especially as he undergoes this internal bleeding, I pray you'd stop it and to help him. Linda Pollock's sister, Lillian, is she recovers from stomach cancer surgery. Father, bless her. Jesus, care for her.